0: Hi, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and today you're going to learn more about me than you probably ever wanted to. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe this is appropriate. Uh, It's not inappropriate. So today I am interviewing my husband, my husband, Rich Bueno. And I always listen back to the episodes to write the show notes. And when I listen back to this episode... I realized how intimate it is. I feel like it's funny because, you know, I start listening to it and I'm like, this isn't very good. We kind of suck. Like we're just talking and and no one's going to be interested in this. And then as we go further along, it gets pretty deep. Truthfully this is really vulnerable for me to put out. I feel like I really generally don't have a problem being vulnerable and putting things out there, but this is a this is a really intimate look at my marriage and the way that I show up in partnership and the way that my husband shows up and I get a lot of feedback from friends that people say that they really look up to our marriage and you know we've been together let's see when this podcast comes out. It comes out the day after our 14-year first anniversary, which <laughs> Rich told me recently, as I'm recording this right now, we're about to have our 12th wedding anniversary. And he's like, eh, the wedding doesn't really mean anything to me. I think our first date is what's most important. So I specifically wanted this to come out right around our 14-year first anniversary. We went to a restaurant called Juries in Chicago, which no longer exists. And it's funny, I had a band gig that night So we met at like five o'clock and we always joke that he was talking about his car. And at the time he drove a Mercedes. It was a super old Mercedes. So it wasn't like, you know, he's this like baller running around. But I joked about, you know, needing to have a fancy car to like compensate, not for a small penis, but to compensate for something. And he really thought that I didn't like him. And we ended up taking a walk after dinner and having our first kiss right behind the library, Seltzer Library, for any of you who are local to Chicago. And at that time, he was like, oh, wait, she does like me. She kissed me. (laughs) So... That's kind of the origin story for me and Rich. And I interviewed him because he is he just got his master's in social work and started working in the field. And, you know, I've met a lot of career changers. And I think it's so brave for people to be doing something for a significant period of time and then recognize I need to make a shift. And I am just, I'm constantly beaming with pride for my husband and how brave it was for him to make this shift. I also know Rich has a lot of fans out there, and I kind of figured because I talk about him so much, it would be great for you guys to hear directly from the horse's mouth. So let me please introduce you to Rich Bueno. He's a career-changing professional, having received his master's in social work in May 2019. He currently uses his clinical skills in clinical case management for older adult populations. Rich has previously worked in individual and group therapy with older adults and supported newly arriving adult refugees from around the world in employment, housing, and case management. His 17 years of past work experience in global PR and corporate communications provides many transferable skills, including relationship building, interviewing, cultural humanity, and working with diverse populations, as well as writing and editing. He's creative, calm, under pressure, and thrives on totally new experiences. Hmm. I don't know about that last one, Rich. Totally new experiences? He loves to travel, but this guy also likes a routine, so I might have to edit that one. Anyway, please enjoy this really intimate, really, I think, very sweet and lovely interview with my husband, Rich Bueno. Hi, Rich. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer
1: hey sarah how are you
0: it's so weird for you to say my name
1: it's usually hey you or
0: no you call me baby
1: hey love yeah
0: love or sweetie or baby like it's weird to hear you say my name
1: yeah (laughs) i won't fall into robot rich okay
0: okay good so fans of the show are fans of yours and i've told you this and i know you were like what Mm -hmm. but i feel like because i talk about you pretty much in almost every episode and in one way or another that it would be good to finally have you on the show
1: well thanks thanks for talking me into it i I got my courage up and i guess i need to uh introduce myself to my fans Watch oh, out, good. I'm taking over your show.
0: Oh, shit. Here we go. So, well, how nervous are you right now on a scale of zero to ten? Um, Three. Not bad so far. Wow. <laughs> and this is from a super introvert, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Yeah. And yeah. a fairly anxious person in general. I mean. Yeah. What's my general anxiety?
0: Yeah. What is your general anxiety level today?
1: It's been increasing, sadly, this afternoon. Oh. I don't know
0: why. Yeah. I think oh. we're at about
1: a... Just over the five.
0: All right, it's manageable. That's like normal, right?
1: Yeah, I'm usually running at about a six, six point five. <laughs> <laughs> Not great.
0: Okay, before we dig into your anxiety disorder, would you like to tell the listeners who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, well, I'm, and it still feels weird to say it, but I'm, I'm a social worker now. Yay! So as of early May. So I, I just finished grad school in early May. So I graduated my diploma and that made it feel real. So got my master's in Social work and changed careers after almost 17 years working mm-hmm. in a big corporate job. and it feels really, really good. So now, I, I work with older adults. I'm working at a social service agency here in Chicago. And it's called CJE Senior Life. And they're a wonderful organization. They've been around since the 70s. And they do all sorts of different things. And I uh, was doing my internship there during the last calendar year of school and was able to land a job there. So I'm helping connect seniors to services and helping their adult children and Family members navigate aging, and it's definitely challenging. And I'm learning a ton every day, and it feels really rewarding, too.
0: Yeah. Do you want to tell people the road, basically, that, you know, you just, obviously, you said you were in corporate America for 17 years, but just <laughs> kind of thinking back on the, the longevity of your career and, and how you got here, I, th- I think it's a pretty interesting story.
1: Yeah, well, I didn't just wake up one morning and suddenly realized I need to be a social worker. But (laughs) I think it was quite a few years of there was a seed somewhere in my head that was planted and Part of it was really seeing your career and it's always a pleasure for me to say to when I talk to people and meet them like I am following in your footsteps. So I've gotten to what inspired me was to see how much you've grown over the years Mm -hmm. and hear about the stories of people you've helped and then of course meeting a lot of wonderful colleagues and friends of yours who are social work or in, thera- uh, in therapy, well, probably, but also in uh, therapeutic <laughs> professions. And the other thing that always struck me was that off and on when I meet and talk with people, they they always would say like, you know, you'd be a great therapist or mm-hmm. you'd be a great teacher. Those were the two ones I always got. And I think the combination of just kind of feeling like I was good at my previous job, I did communications and PR, so a lot of writing and I was good at it. And it had a Good amount of variety, but it felt kind of a little empty to me. Or there was something mm-hmm. missing. I think as things got more and more complicated at my previous career, there was something that slowly started getting to me, where I, I realized, well, hmm, maybe I don't just need another PR job. Maybe yeah. I don't just need a new company. Maybe I need to make a big change. And I gradually worked up the courage. I think, thanks to your support and encouragement, and trying to pay attention and listen to myself, that. Uh, Okay, well, okay, why not make a big move?
2: Hmm.
0: It's funny, like, because when I'm interviewing other people, I'm really listening to their story and really just trying to figure out how do I relate and da-da-da-da-da, but it's like, I know your story so intimately, I'm watching myself right now you know, think about, well, tell him this, Rich, well, tell him that. And and it's just, yeah. it's just kind of funny because, you know, you say that you really like to tell people that you're following in my footsteps. And at the same time, what you're going through right now in your own like personal development has really kind of shifted our relationship dynamic in the way that I'm trying to take up less space in our relationship to give you more space to step in. So I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. It's it really doesn't have anything to do with you as a social worker, but more like you as a person and and our relationship in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's an effect of the process for me of continuing to do my own work, you know, whether it's in one on one therapy or if it's in I've been in a men's group through an organization called Victories that. It's a peer-led, basically, support or personal growth group for, I think, more than five years, and I think it's a combination of that, and it's also me finding my feet and getting more comfortable in my own role and feeling like, yeah, I'm doing this, this is great, and certainly plenty of times in any given day or week I don't feel that way, but but I think it really does relate to it's either stepping up or really, really getting into the space fully Mm-hmm. So sort of fully owning and fully filling up the space that I know that I am on the inside and adjusting to that versus I think what I'd always historically done was kind of be, well, just uh, a little bit like, what's the word? I'm in a loss for words, kind of a little bit. Um, Look at
0: me not telling you what you think.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you. So now this is like literally recorded proof that next time you're like, you're always telling me what to do and what to think. I can be like, well, there was one hour for one mm-hmm. day in our relationship that I didn't. And it is, it's been recorded.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: yeah. yeah, I think what I'm getting at is that I'm, I'm feeling fully comfortable in myself, if that makes any sense, versus there was something that was always off before or mostly yeah. because of the career work like oh well I'm squeezing myself into a role or into mm-hmm. a life and now I'm still I'm still just adjusting like how does this feel and
2: mm-hmm.
1: noticing how does this feel and how does it make me feel so <laughs> but it's generally good a little scary a little uncomfortable I think it, it's pushed my buttons on anxiety sometimes but yeah yeah <laughs> A little bit,
0: (laughs) a little bit, just sometimes like there, (laughs) there was a day earlier this week, you came home and you're like, I just, I picked the wrong career. What am I doing? This is, it's all terrible. I hate it. But Mm -hmm. then most of the time you're like, I'm so excited to go to work tomorrow.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I do feel like even when I do say those sorts of things, I do feel like maybe it doesn't come out that way, but I know when I hear myself saying that, or I notice that thought, coming out and the words crossing my lips, I I do realize like, oh come on. Like I think part of it is calm down.
2: (laughs) It's
1: practicing actually expressing expressing these thoughts and feelings where a lot of the stuff in the past I would just ignore, hit ignore, hit ignore. Yeah. And that's not really helpful.
0: Yeah. Do you wanna talk a little bit about how you feel like that developed for you? The reason that you've you've had that ignore your feelings kind of thing?
1: Well, I I mean, I've got some good guesses about where it came from, Mm -hmm. but I think maybe more important has been figuring out, not even figuring out, but learning how to pay attention and and tune in, I guess. And in some way, I think meditation has helped a lot with that aside Mm -hmm. from talk therapy and you know, doing more traditional type CBT stuff or internal family systems and, and
2: <laughs> Yeah, what what.
1: So I, I think the meditation actually has helped me bring awareness to what am I feeling right now? What am I thinking right now? And I, I know I have a ways to go, especially in the what sensations am I feeling
2: mm-hmm.
1: when I'm anxious or when I'm scared. And how is this showing up in my body What does it make me want to do? And it's been a very long process of unlearning
2: Mm
1: or ignore, ignore. ignore. I think I grew up in a space, a household where I was scared off from expressing Mm -hmm. emotions. And part of it was my parents fought verbally a whole lot. And my dad really took out his anger on the family and mm-hmm. his stressors from his work and his life. And I realized I would never, I never wanted to be like that. I never wanted to have a marriage full of conflict or a family that is always fighting or arguing with each other. And mm-hmm. I think my childhood solution was like, okay, well, I'm going to avoid conflict at all costs. Mm-hmm. And going to either try to hide physically or like stay out of it. Mm -hmm. Or if that doesn't work, mediate and try to be the peacemaker. And in the meantime, that, you know, the best way to kind of mediate and play into that role is to at least the way that I found as a kid was like, well, set my emotions aside and Mm -hmm. help these people work it out. Mm -hmm. and It worked pretty well for a while until it didn't (laughs) <laughs> or there were definitely a lot of trade-offs, mm-hmm. sacrifices that I, I wasn't aware of at the time.
0: Right. Well, and it's interesting too. I think that it probably would have worked well enough as long as you were single. And we've laughed about this now because it hasn't happened in so long. But like one of the really good examples is like my my birthday. Right. Every time I would have a birthday, you would put so much pressure on yourself to like plan this party and make sure it was perfect. And I was like, dude, like it's cool, but you'd put yourself under so much stress and pressure that when it actually came time to my birthday, you'd be really fucking shitty to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would flip out and everything. Right.
0: And it would come out sideways. And I'd be like, what? Like, I didn't, like, I didn't create this. You created Mm -hmm. this. Had you not been in a relationship, you wouldn't have been forced, quote unquote, forced to throw a party for someone and put yourself under all this stress and pressure, you know?
1: Yeah. If I just had... Casual relationships or just friendships. And I think that's the kind of stuff that comes up when one has an intimate relationship or a friend or both and Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean I think a lot about how you have changed me Because and I've said this on the show probably a trillion times before like you were really the first person to unconditionally love me because that's what was said in my household, but that's not actually how things went. But because of you, I was able to develop this ground that I could then grow from. And it's it's interesting. like It's just really different the way that I think you were the ground that helped me grow. And I think that I am for you. I help you expand.
1: Yeah. Thinking of directions, like you're somebody who's helping boost me up. Mm -hmm. and lift me up too.
0: Good. I'm glad you feel
1: it. Yeah. Which is, it's a similar direction, expanding.
0: Yeah. But just different. I don't know. It's, it's all swirling around in my head right now. I'm curious though. I don't, I don't remember when we first started dating, had you been to therapy before?
1: A little bit, a little bit. Well, I know I started seeing a therapist probably around the year my dad got sick. So that was probably... Well, about when we met, although I, I know I'd been somebody who had a little bit off and on for some anxiety or depression, like in adolescence. And I don't think there was anything really in young adulthood prior mm-hmm. to shortly before we met. So,
0: hmm. And I'm trying to remember the timeline because I didn't go back to school until after we were married, but I must have made the decision while we were dating. Do you remember that process?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, the time again, see how old we're getting. It's getting a little (laughs) fuzzy details, but.
0: Is this uh, what happens? Is this aging?
1: uh, Is this real life? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Or you just start fudging and saying like, I remember like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. I just don't know when it was. I do remember when we met and you were working at Northwestern and you were, Mm -hmm. I think you were pretty clear to me from the beginning, like "Eh, it's a job and it's, you know, I do some stuff. Some of the people are fun, <laughs> who I work with, but it's not a career or anything. It's not right. really fulfilling. And where exactly did the social work idea come from? I don't quite remember. But oh, I, do I
0: remember re- that, exactly. But I just didn't remember how much I was talking about it.
1: I remember you being pretty clear to me as an outsider, and maybe somebody new in the relationship. It felt like, not that you did just wake up one morning, but my impression is you pretty quickly got this idea of like you know what, I want to be a therapist. And I want to change careers. And I said, like, well, that makes sense. Like, you don't really like Mm -hmm. the job you're in. And you even told me when we met, I think you realized at some point along the line, while you were in undergrad, working towards your degree, that Mm -hmm. you didn't really want to do
2: what
1: degree was about. So, okay, that's obvious. So I thought, well, yeah, definitely change careers, go to grad school, grad Mm -hmm. school And we could. So thought, good move. This is exciting.
0: Good move.
1: And it was.
0: (laughs) And it was. And it was so. (laughs) Well, let's shift to the the healer question. How do you feel about that word in terms of you?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean as somebody who's pretty new in this career, I just try to pay attention to like any little things where I feel like I'm able to help ease somebody's journey and, and maybe help relieve some of their suffering and bring them some comfort. So I definitely got a lot out of that, especially in my second field placement, which was just prior to where I'm working now at CJE, where I can actually see and people would come up to me and tell me like, oh, well, this is helpful. And helping people. Sell celebrate a little bit, making some changes or figuring out some problems. So I think one of the things I've learned through practice, and I know some of my really good professors confirmed it too in, in practice, that you know it's really being present and holding the space for the client or the person you're working with. And I'd like to think I try to do that for friends too and, mm-hmm. and to be a source of hope so, I mean, even when people are pretty despondent, which happens to all mm-hmm, of us, mm-hmm. uh, not to say, oh, here's what you need to do, but just, like, I'm here for you. And maybe you're not ready or maybe you can't see it right now or you can't see it yet, but I'm here. I'm rooting for you. And maybe even more than that, I'm with you. I'm here with you. So.
0: So are you a healer? Uh, <laughs> I guess so, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It feels tough for me to take on that because that sounds like such responsibility and it it mm-hmm. it conjures up to me like magical superpowers and I I certainly don't have those. So
0: Yes you do. <laughs> really? You have the superpower of unconditional love.
1: Well
2: well.
0: Thanks. <laughs> well well. <laughs> <laughs> but just you talking about like, oh, I'm so early in this career, but I don't think that it's one's career that makes them a healer. I think it's, it's just who they are. And I think everybody that goes into any sort of therapy profession, I would hope that they already kind of naturally have these aptitudes that lead them into that career. But you, for certain, I mean, I'm pretty sure that anytime you took any sort of like career aptitude test, it said, oh, be a teacher or a therapist, you know, and yeah, yeah. And as you said, like, you've been the one to hold space for friends. So why couldn't you have even been a healer before you became a social worker?
1: Well, okay. I'll buy that. I'll buy
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to convince you of it.
1: I don't know. It feels like stepping on some kind of pedestal to say, like, I am mm-hmm. a healer. Look at me. So put it that way. It sounds like okay. Well, yeah. A lot of healing is being there with someone, being mm-hmm. there for someone, and and <laughs> I don't know who said like that. The most important part is just showing up. So,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Ford said that. Really. No, I totally made that up. <laughs>
1: I don't Maybe know. It's your mother.
0: Yes, it's your mother just showing up. Well, how about wounded healer? How do you feel about that?
1: Oh, definitely wounded. <laughs> that I can own. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When I first heard about that term, thanks to you. And You're welcome. I haven't done a lot of reading on it. The little that I have read and hearing your explanations, that totally makes sense. I think we're all wounded for one reason or another, and for good or for bad, that's part of life. And I think it's sort of what we do with that experience gives us powers or strengths and insight and tools even. So for some reason, I have no problem taking on that mantle.
0: Yeah. Usually people who want to push away healer, have no problem embracing wounded healer. And then like vice versa. Sometimes like people have an issue with the term wounded Mm. and this idea of like, you know, what I've come to is we can be informed by our wounds as a wounded healer or we can be acting out of them. Right. And I guess we're acting out of them when we're like, when we're triggered and when we might be having like counter transference issues, blah, 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 blah. Or just like in general, I think there are some things in life that we haven't necessarily dealt with yet and we can't see completely. I don't know. I guess when I think about my own growth and think about at any given time, given the information I had, I really was doing the best I could at the time. And even now that I would make different decisions in like a million different places.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's good to appreciate that. And it sounds like what you're saying is actually taking a self compassionate approach to looking at maybe your journey, right? So hmm. It's much more palatable and reasonable. And a lot of it is like comes down to what do you do with the wounds and how do you use them or how do you pay attention to them, treat them?
0: Yeah. So one of the reasons that I really wanted to interview you now at this stage in your career is I've gotten feedback that there are listeners who are either in school or they're thinking about going back to school. And so I wanted to catch you in the early years. And if this podcast goes on forever, maybe we'll get you in your later years, too. We'll see. But just kind of wanted to hear your perspective and your, I guess, like your, your sense of worth in this field since it's since it's fresh, you know, kind of back to the idea of like, holy shit, I'm going to change careers, and then going to school, and and then the development?
1: Well, I mean, I guess the easiest way to answer is that it feels right. And I think it took me a long, long time, years and years, to give myself permission to Mm -hmm. pay attention to what feels right and trust my gut. And I mean, as for self-esteem, I think being in a helping or healing profession is rewarding in terms of oh look at what I'm doing and again like trying to be humble like there's certainly a tiny little bit I think of what we as healers may do but I think a lot of the work is actually on the people who are well they're the ones actually doing the work you Mm -hmm. know clients and we're kind of guides so I mean as for self-worth and I just feel like a better person when I'm more in sync with what feels right to me and thankfully after getting into school i felt right from the get-go like yeah wow this is great and this feels really good and this is exciting and mm-hmm. i hope i'll be able to help some people and, and i think it is what keeps me going is it is gratifying to me personally like mm-hmm. oh I'd like to think that I'm maybe not all the time, but here and there at least, and hopefully it'll keep building, but making a little bit of an impact and Mm -hmm. making things a little bit better for people. And it's helping me too. I guess that's the healing part for my own healing because it's helping me feel like a better, more fulfilled person. And I feel like I fit into the universe and my world better versus like trying to fit myself into Mm the world, if that makes any sense.
0: No, I think it totally does. I mean, it's yeah, it's the difference between like fitting yourself into this little box mm-hmm. versus putting the box in your pocket and like <laughs> taking it along with you. And I mean, I, we talk a lot on the show about the idea of so many people just kind of run on this treadmill you know, because that's what we're told we're supposed to do. We're supposed mm-hmm. to get good grades in school and then graduate and go to college and get married and get a job and then have kids and, mm-hmm. you know, do all this shit. And it takes courage to recognize when that doesn't fit and when that's not working. And I feel like a lot of people give you really positive feedback about like, wow, that was really brave of you. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel like it was brave to switch
2: careers?
1: No, uh it doesn't feel that brave although <laughs> uh, at the same time maybe that's me going back to like not being able to own. Hey, that's a big deal. But mm-hmm. at the same time I can hold that. Yeah, it is a big deal and maybe it's like easier on the backside to say, "Oh, that wasn't that hard." But uh
0: Yeah, uh <laughs> it was that hard.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I the hard part was being somewhat miserable or feeling really conflicted for years and years.
0: Yeah, that was the hard part. Yeah.
1: And then suddenly it felt like, oh, a big weight was lifted and oh, this feels really good. It was the the pain and the lead up to making the change. So
0: I think that's true for everything, right? Like Mm -hmm. when we're not in alignment with our purpose, our higher self, whatever it is, that's where the struggle is. And that's like, I was listening to a podcast yesterday where they were talking about healing and there are two types of suffering. There's suffering that is just like, you know, what happens in the world. Like we both have lost parents and, you know, that's suffering. And then the suffering on top of the suffering is how we choose to deal with it. And so it's like, when we're fighting our true calling, that's what it is. It's a fight, right? It's, it's this misalignment and it's almost like swimming upstream. And now that I think about it, like watching you in that career, like there were times where you had a a position that was really fulfilling and, and aligned with like what you were very good at and where you would feel really good about yourself. But most of the time it felt like you were trying so hard to swim upstream to be the type of corporate person that they were asking you to be. And that's when, so you mentioned at the beginning, Robot Rich. So would you like to share with the listeners who Robot Rich is?
1: (laughs) Well, I think, I think before that, to build on what you said, I Mm -hmm. think a lot of it was, it was not only just trying to swim upstream, but it was, I was trying to fit myself into the narrative of somebody else's story.
0: Oh, sweetie. That makes me want to cry.
1: Well, cry away.
2: (laughs) Aww.
1: And I think it took a long time to figure that out. Like, And I'm still definitely figuring out, maybe our whole lives we figure out what is my narrative, what is my story. And... Whose story was that, do you think? Well, I think there are probably lots of different contributors. I think that was the other point I was going to respond to that you said, where a lot of this is societal expectation. And, and mm-hmm. like a lot of people do X, Y, Z, this Typical, whatever the expectation is, is it's the conformity. And mm-hmm. I'm really nonconforming. I'm pretty conforming, but <laughs> you are.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, just for listeners, you'll see the picture of Rich on the album art. But usually my clients and people who don't know Rich yet assume that he's like he looks like me that he's got crazy hair and piercings and tattoos. But no, 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 he looks like a banker.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah.
0: so yes he's very conforming
1: (laughs) it's a deep cover that's all yeah 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 Yeah, maybe maybe somewhere underneath i haven't scratched that level yet but
0: (laughs) i'll get you a fucking tattoo before you die motherfucker
1: Mm -hmm. maybe we'll see we'll see it just involves needles that's scary yeah i
0: know anyway robot rich or wherever you were going
1: so i think it is a lifelong process of figuring out gee, what what is my story? What is my narrative? And I mean, I, I like to hope that most people can figure out maybe a lot don't, or they don't feel like they ever get that sense of enough control of, well, I can really shape my own story or be in tune, as you said, be aligned. So
0: here's a really personal question. Do you think your dad found his own narrative?
1: I think he found a way to be more comfortable towards the end of his life. Thank goodness. Yeah. I think once he was able to retire from Mm. his business that his parents started, Mm -hmm. I think he was in many ways trying to squeeze himself into, Mm. well, I can take my parents' business that they started and. Mm -hmm. I'm really smart and talented and I can make it great. And, and he did in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. it was almost like he was picking up where they left off. And like, it's not just their business. Like it's, I'm going to tack myself onto their story and, yeah. and continue, I guess I'm doing everything and everything I'm talking about is in like a narrative form, but.
2: Mm-hmm. Which
0: makes sense since you're a writer.
1: I think that's what caused so much of his pain was, yeah, he realized that corporate world wasn't for him. So interesting parallel to me. I think he left the corporate world in his late 30s. and Oh, really? But he went to the family business. And hmm. I think it was good in some ways, but in other ways, it caused all sorts of pain. Yeah. And I think fortunately, once he, in his final years, even though he was sick and dying, I think he finally got some comfort in being able to finally allow himself some time to enjoy life and maybe take some time to uh, have some meaningful relationships. It's unfortunate that somebody has to wait until they're in their 60s. I don't recommend it. I'm trying to avoid (laughs) myself.
0: Right. What do you think your dad would think of you becoming a therapist?
1: I think he would be proud. You know, on the face of things, sometimes he was pretty judgmental and (laughs) negative.
0: Just to tell the audience, he asked me once if my cats had fleas. He thought I gave him fleas. Anyway, go on.
1: <laughs> Gave the family house. Uh, yeah. Not just a girlfriend, but a carrier. Right. Of
0: I was a carrier of parasites. Yeah. Anyway, God bless Gene.
1: Yes. I mean, in some ways he had a very negative, skeptical, <laughs> judgmental <laughs> worldview, and that was really tough. But I think when it came to, he really wanted the best for his kids yeah. and education was an mm-hmm. extremely value for him and... In other ways, too, I think also we always used him in a, as a sounding board, mm. whether he had his own successes or even if he had a lot of things that he hadn't been able to figure out in his own life. He was always enthusiastic and encouraging about us to find out what will make us happy in the long run. Mm. I think it went for not just work stuff or career stuff, but I think you talked about that with relationships, too.
0: Did you talk to him before you decided to propose to me?
1: Yeah, huh. he was really encouraging. So you remember that story that I mm-hmm. think you were told about? So the first time you met him, he was in the hospital, and mm-hmm. he he was probably in some weeks into like a month long stay in the hospital because he was under treatment for lymphoma and it was getting really bad. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: I guess after I introduced you and our visit was over, and you and I left, and. I think he said to whoever else was in the room, I guess it was my brother and my mom, that I think we just met Rich's wife, okay. <laughs> Rich's future wife. Yeah. Touching, because yeah. he wouldn't let those things out often. Hmm. So that was a big deal.
0: Were his parents first generation, or was he first generation American?
1: His parents were the first family So member. his parents were born it's-
0: here, and so they came from Poland, and... I know you talk about your grandparents as being very kind of like stoic and serious and, you know, and then negative, right. And then, yeah. And then your dad also conveying that, like, and I'm sure you've explored a lot of this through victory is like, what were your messages about being a man? What was being a man supposed to be like? What implicit or explicit Mm -hmm. messages did you get from your dad?
1: I mean, I think he was raised in a very much the traditional I don't think he completely believed in the 1950s, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that gender roles were split up. But then again, like, that's the way he did it. So the messages were get a good job and stability and seek your fortune and Mm -hmm. uh, be the provider and do well and on the side, try to be happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And don't cry.
1: I don't think that was ever an explicit, explicit message, but I mean, I don't remember much of him ever crying. So Mm -hmm. lots of yelling, but.
0: (laughs) So the only emotion you can express is anger, but you couldn't express anger because you decided that you didn't want to be like him in that way.
1: And it's unsafe. Right. I saw it as a young child, like, oh, it causes more chaos and more dysfunction. And this is not any way to solve problems. So.
0: Right. Well, I'm hungry. I don't know about you. (laughs) Do you have more to say? I mean, I'm going to give you space to say whatever else you want to say too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm so curious about what would my fan base want to know. That you know (laughs) that. Look, you've you've created an egomaniac.
0: I know. God, you're such a fucking narcissist, you asshole.
1: I'll tweet you later. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What would your fans want to know? Oh man i should have asked this question before we did your interview
1: i mean if i come up frequently i mean hopefully as a positive example but it's okay if well it's-
0: you should fucking listen to your wife's podcast and then you would know
1: i do i do <laughs> yes i do listen when i can right i'm not in the car enough but
0: i know he bikes to work you guys that's pretty badass
1: i'm not brave enough to put headphones no in ears,
0: you but- shouldn't you should be safe
1: I mean, I think the other thing I'm curious about is, if I'm coming up as an example, and I'm guessing a lot of it is like, hmm, teaching moments, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where, whether it's in our our relationship, because relationships, we have to navigate them, and they're always ever-changing, they're living things, so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I wonder if it's about relationships, or professional life, or friendships, or something else. I, I wonder, where have I been helpful
0: it's funny you know so we're coming up on being together for 14 years and i don't no i'm gonna cry i don't remember it's really hard to remember who i was before i met you because i'm so much more me and i'm so much of a better healthier person you know so like just coming from the overall I don't know. It's it's just it's hard to like narrow down these little things because it's just this like overwhelming, unconditional love that you've provided that's given me the space to grow like, you know, and I guess on a minutiae type basis, it's this idea of being in relationship with someone and who you, who you are gets tested because you can't just be living in your own bubble. And mm-hmm. I think I usually bring you up when I'm talking about, you know, changing careers or
1: examples of people struggling. No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll talk about like a little, a little tiff we had and how we worked it out. Cause I yeah. think, I think we do a kick-ass job of communicating. And so I think, I think our relationship is a pretty good example from that regard. But I was thinking this in the movie last night. So we watched Rocket Man last night and it's the Elton John story. And it was the moment when he was writing our song and I leaned over to you and I said, how wonderful life is because you're in my world. Right. And it's so true. Like, I just, I don't know who, who or where I would be without you.
2: Well,
1: and I love that. I love hearing that. And that makes me feel really special. You are. I'm really glad that I've been able to have such an impact on your life. Yeah. I can't think of anybody else who's had such an impact on my life. And that's the way it ought to be, right?
0: Right. And I was telling somebody, I can't remember, maybe it was a friend from Al-Anon and we were talking about relationships. And like the hope is that you find a partner who is willing to continue to like grow and change with you, right? Because the relationship, I can't remember where I heard it, but somebody said that in your marriage, you should have seven marriages Hmm. because you you go through different periods of time and I can absolutely think about that with you and me. There's our marriage after your dad died, right? And like that was really, really hard. And then our marriage while I was in grad school and our marriage while like I was going through this depressive period when I was adjusting to becoming a therapist and then our marriage when my parents died and then our marriage while you were in school and transitioning uh-huh. and all this stuff. Right. And so like the thing that's so cool about our relationship is we've continued to like grow and change individually and then also like come back together and fill in different different puzzle pieces. But I've never at any, well, maybe that's not true. Overall, <laughs> I've not felt hindered by you, I've just felt lifted up and just held. Mm-hmm. And I I'm pretty sure you feel the same about me too.
1: Yeah, I sure do. I sure do. And that's a great role. That's a great job.
0: You'll keep the job?
1: Yes, I'll keep the You're job. You'll keep
0: being my husband?
1: For sure.
0: Okay. You heard it here, folks. He's not allowed to divorce me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: As cited on the podcast. As cited.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, my love, is there anything else you would like to share with listeners before we wrap up and go have some dinner? Because this bitch is hungry.
1: I think you should tell the audience how Robot Rich came about and what that was all about. Don't leave him hanging.
0: Oh, right. We didn't answer that. So, Robot Rich was the version of Rich where he would. Essentially, like, play corporate man. And I literally remember, I think maybe we just got married or something like that. And we were talking about the way that you perceive yourself at work and how essentially. You told me that you wanted to be like the most neutral and it makes a lot of sense now with this idea of never creating any conflict. Right. So the most neutral version of a human that you could possibly be. And you even said, like, I won't talk about the fact that I have cats. Like when we had cats at the time, like I won't talk about that. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yes, that's how you connect with people. Like you should have friends at work, and you you were like, friends at work—that's ridiculous. Like there's these two worlds that you were living in, and I was like, what? You're crazy. (laughs) And so, robot rich just gets really mechanical and really
1: sterile. Closed off, yeah, and like closed off. Well, don't be authentic and don't mm-hmm. share any aspect of oneself because mm-hmm. somebody could criticize it or somebody could not like it. But I think the deeper thing for me was somebody will criticize and somebody will yep. judge you. And I think, thank goodness, for the most part, that personality type has been long retired. Yeah, He's I haven't a, seen Robot Rich is. in
0: a really long time.
1: Thank goodness. He's in the robot junkyard.
0: Yes. Good riddance with Wally. Yeah. Anything else, babe?
1: No, it's been wonderful to speak to you on the podcast. It's been a fantastic opportunity. It's been really fun. Are you going to
0: listen to this? Can you listen to your own voice?
1: I'm sure I can get used to it.
0: Can you? You can make it.
1: I bet. All I'll right. Do it for my fans.
0: So Rich like barely does anything on social media, you guys. But if you like this episode, give Rich some love. We're going to post all of his social media stuff and he's going to be like, what? I have to actually like log on there. But if you love this episode, <laughs> I think you should tell Rich how much you'd love it because I, I don't think he has any idea how loved he is in the world.
1: Well, that would certainly be an interesting experiment. Maybe I'll even share the podcast episode on my Facebook.
0: Oh, you will. If you don't yourself, I'm just going to log into your account and do it for you.
1: Yeah, and maybe (laughs) I'll tweet tweet it to my
0: to your two followers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're all eggs for some reason. They're all
0: eggs because they're all bots, babe.
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
0: All right, we're digressing.
1: Let's get you some food.
0: All right, I love you, sweetie. I love you too. So what do you think? Was that too intimate? Was it too much? Was it nice? I kind of want to get some feedback on this and I'll make sure that we post all over to social media and I will make him look at it. I will make him look at it because he never goes on, he never goes on Instagram and he goes on Facebook maybe once a week, but I promise I will make him look at it because I think Y'all might have some very sweet things to say about him. So I promise I will make him look. Also, just wanted to mention that if you're enjoying the show, please share it with someone who you think might like to hear it. I think especially this episode with a new social worker is, is interesting and hopefully educational for someone out there. So, thanks to Rich for being my guest, my little guinea pig. He's my guinea pig of life. And thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much. Until next time, bye bye.